Welcome to the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Now, here's your host, Editor Christian Berg. All right, welcome back to the Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. And today, we sure enough have a really good episode for you because I've got two of the really good guys in bow hunting. I got uh, number one, Mr. Travis T-Bone Turner. And uh, Travis, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. And uh, field editor John Silks, our gear testing and equipment guru here at Peterson's Bowhunting. John, it's always a pleasure to be with you. Good to be with you. You know, guys, today, um, kind of the genesis for this thing, wanted to talk a little bow tuning and couldn't really think of anybody better than than T-Bone when it comes right down to it. He's been, you know, one of the top uh, tech gurus here in the bow hunting world for, for a long time. And of course, John, you've been instrumental in, in all of our gear coverage here at the magazine for, for a long, long time as well. But I kind of feel like we can't jump right into this boat tuning stuff until we give uh, T-Bone a chance to kind of talk a little bit about where what he's been up to. Because, you know, the whole the whole hunting industry, T-Bone, has really been just praying for you, pulling for you. Um, I was actually shocked. You know, I was talking to you the other day. I think we did something together back like around the holidays talking about the new Hoyt bows. And it, it turned out it was just a few days before you were going into surgery. And I didn't even have any idea that you were sick or there was anything wrong with you. And come to find out that you were fighting a real aggressive form of cancer and, and had to get your leg amputated. So listen, man, I know that uh, it's, it's, it's been tough for you, but I've been super impressed with the attitude you've taken about all this. And why don't you just tell folks, you know, a little bit about how you're doing and, and what's been going on with you? Yeah, um, doing real well. And, and first and foremost, you know, thank you to the whole how uh, the the whole hunting industry and friends, family. I mean, it, it is a wee thing. You know, a lot of people say, "Well, I'm going through cancer," but it's never that way. You know, your your immediate family and close friends. You know, they're going through it with you, and the outpouring of thoughts, prayers, um, you know, support throughout the industry, uh, throughout all the people on social media has just been overwhelming. So I, I much, much appreciate it. I, I guess um, it, 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 it uh, I, I guess all those years of, of trying to be a good, good guy and trying to treat people right and make people smile and shaking hands and, and such, uh, you know, really paid off. So, uh, you know, I, I may not, may not have two nickels to rub together, but I'm, I'm very, very wealthy with friends, thoughts, love and prayer. So thank you to everybody who's who's been supporting on that to catch you up with me. Um, yeah, February 7th, um, we had, I had fibrosarcoma fighting, fighting it for six months. I'll keep that short. And then, uh, you know, went through chemo throughout the fall. Um, February 7th had, uh, had my right leg amputated above the knee. Um, so I do have a, a stump there and, uh, we're just in the healing process right now. I got to get my stump healed up to where I can start getting a, um, a shrinker or shaper put on there so that we can shape my stump uh, to be fitted with a prosthetic. So we're right there on it. I just went to the doctor uh, two days ago um, and he said, uh, give it about another, you know, first part of next week and we'll be able to start the shaping process. So that that's encouraging. And, you know, then it's just a, 
uh, a matter of, you know, maybe a month or two of shaping and, and then we start the rehab with the prosthetic. So, but right now I'm able to get around, I've got a electric wheelchair and I've got a walker. And, uh, so I'm, I'm able to zip around the house and we figured out how to, you know, get in and out of a vehicle pretty good. So I can't drive, but nonetheless, at least I can go take a, a Sunday stroll. And, um, we did a CAT scan. Um, I do have a nodule still on my lung may or may not be cancer. Um, and it's, it, it has shrunk. So it's down to five millimeters, but it's still, needs to be on the radar as far as it could or could not be. And this being an aggressive type of cancer, the farther we get away from chemo, it's liable to explode. If it is cancer, it's liable to explode. So we've got a uh, uh, an appointment with a thoracic doctor, the, the type of doctor that would be doing the removal of the nodule in my lung and or biopsy. It's so small that you just don't biopsy it. If you're going in there to biopsy it, just go ahead and rip it out. And then once we get it on the outside, we'll determine was it cancer or not? Is it dead or is it not? Uh, did the chemo work on it? So uh, that's where we're at now. We're just still keeping an eyeball on the, the nodule and uh, we're working to get fitted for the prosthetic so that we can rehab throughout the spring um, and, and get ready you know, for summertime and fall. But hey, positive, positive spin on all that. Both hands still work, still can draw that bow, still can shoot. <laughs> Still can run a fishing pole, still can drive a four wheeler. So there's a there's a lot of things I can't do, but there's a lot of things I can do. So um, I, we're focusing on that. So life's good. Just being patient, being safe, and going day to day. Well, you know, I'm really glad that you're doing as well as you are. And I kind of wanted to kick it over to John because you know you and John have been friends for a long time, and I just know John. You know, you could speak a little bit. For all those people who can't be on the show, you know, Travis talked about, you know, being a trying to be a good guy for all these years. And I mean, he really is one of the all time good guys right in the outdoor industry. And I know it hit you hard, John, to find out what he was going through. And uh, I think you can speak for a lot of people just about the way that it affected you to know what what T-Bone was facing. Yeah, it's uh, you know, I've known T-Bone for quite a few years and he probably doesn't even remember the first time we met at a millheim hotel for some pizza oh man must have been 15 20 years ago now and i remember (laughs) that was with uh, mark that's right yeah (laughs) so that was the first time i think i had met you and i mean even back then you know t-bone was just one of the guys and joking around and and you know i think that's the thing that everybody just everybody relates to t-bone and t-bone relates to everybody and so he's just somebody you know that even though he's obviously so well known by so many people that you can just hang out with him you know and just you know it's it's uh, his personality he's personable and and um whenever this all dropped uh i you know i i gotta say you know i was uh um really taken aback and just you know, immediately just, you know, starting to pray for you, Travis. And, but, you know, the, the, the good thing about that is, is that, you know, I, I knew that, it, you know, I'm just a drop in the bucket. There, there's thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people that have been praying for Travis and reaching out. And that's why I don't reach out to him that often because I know he's got to be, just just hammered with uh, people calling and texting and probably 
rolling up in his driveway and everything else. So I try to keep it to a minimum, but I know that the, the hunting community as they're just pouring their hearts out for you, bud. And I know I am. So. Well, man, I, again, it, it goes without saying, I appreciate it. And yeah, we, we have been uh, friends for a long time and uh, some more of that pizza would be uh, <laughs> delicious about right now. <laughs> if you can see, I've been eating plenty. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, you look at a guy like T-Bone John and everyone just assumes this guy's been making, you know, his bread and butter on good looks for all these years. And they forget (laughs) that it was actually lots of skill that come along with that. You know what I mean? And I think that that's how we can kind of transition into this conversation that I wanted to have about boat tuning, because, you know, you see that T-Bone is sitting down there in his basement. He's got a nice archery shop down there and he's got all of his bows and, you know, other equipment there. And I mean, just for folks who don't know, it's hard to imagine there's too many people who wouldn't know at this point because you've told us many times. But I mean, you kind of got your start in in archery, you know, kind of on the, the technical side of things. And there's a lot of people in this industry that they don't want really anybody else to touch their stuff. But you, right? Yeah, it, it's been um archery has done so much for me and uh i love archery so much you know it's kind of weird you know i started i was kind of against archery to begin with but because i just thought you wounded a bunch of deer but uh, just out of high school long story short my buddies talked me into getting into it and from day one i shot my first tournament before long before i even shot a bought a bow on a wednesday shot a tournament on a sunday got lucky and won the beginners division then and from that point on i was just and I've never been good at anything, but just, uh, you know, I, I was a big guy on the line at football, but to say I was an all-star, I was not an all-star. I just, I just took up a spot, but nonetheless, man, I was, this archery, I was pretty decent at. And, uh, and then to learn that it's suppressing your nervous energy. So it's a lot like golf, but yet again, it's a lot like NASCAR. You know, you can always build a better mousetrap and, and tuning and no matter how good you are, you can always get more accurate and, God, just all of that just uh, just interested me so, so much. So I couldn't get enough of archery. From that point on, I was hooked. And, and you know, even to this day, which is that was back in, you know, the late 80s, even to this day, I can't get enough. Me and my wife, we built our house. And uh, the first dimensions I threw out there, uh, we built our house in 2008. And I said, look, we've got to have 75 feet in the clear because I am going to have an indoor range in the house. And I got to have a archery, you know, a, a shop down there. And she said, she said, you sold your business, you know, like four or five years ago. Why Why are you building a shop and working on bows and stuff still? And I, I said, listen, honey, even if I dipped septic tanks for a living, <laughs> I would still be working on bows every free breath that I got. I mean, I, I just I love it so much. I love taking not just not just for myself, but just learning about the stuff and and the engineering part of it. And then on top of that, you got setting someone up that like I was when I was a teenager you set someone up with a bow and they're under the impression that, man, I'm going to have to shoot like 40 arrows, 40 arrows a day. And hopefully I can get good enough to where I can hit a pizza, you know, a pizza box. And, and, and it's, and it does your heart so good that when you get them on the right track and you kind of, you set their draw length up, give them a little bit of a lesson, uh, tune their bow, put them out there. And then they're hitting a baseball every time at 20 yards, just to see it over their face. It's like, wow, I'm going to be able to deer hunt in two weeks. You know, they're, they're thinking that they're fixing to go down the road of 
you know, having to shoot for years and years and years just to get decent enough to bow hunt. But uh, with today's technology and and uh, the innovations that all these companies have done, it just makes it uh, so easy. And it, and it just puts a smile on my face that I can introduce somebody into the sport of archery, whether it's a country music singer, um, a baseball player, or the kid down the street, or just, just anybody. If you can draw a bow back, it's just so rewarding to see them love the sport of archery and bow hunting. So, you know, that, that to me is a way of giving back. So yeah, I, I'm, I'll be an archery guru till they put me in the ground. I promise you that. Yeah. I mean, it looks like you have, you know, do you, is this all, is that all your own stuff or do you actually um, still run an archery shop? Do you have customers coming to you? No, I, I, I've, uh, I, do, I mean, I don't have customers per se, but, but I still set up probably 40 or 50 bows a year, you know, whether it be, you know, really close personal friends or, you know, uh, uh, you know, people, celebrities or, you know, people within the industry or, you know, just uh, people that I've dealt with in the past. So um, some, I'd say about half and half, half of those are my bows and half, half are not. Um, we, we've got some of the new Hoyts that I've got to, I've got to set up for a couple of people. So anyway, it, it, and it's a good backdrop for a podcast. I mean, we're down here in the basement, but you can look around and, you know, I mean, it's legit. I mean, it's not just a, you know, it's well, a mess. It's a it mess. Looks, what it, is. it looks like <laughs> most most of the pro shops that you'll see yeah. around America, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I should have made it bigger. <laughs> so so I got to come clean, John, for for T-Bone, because I'm basically killing two birds with one stone here today because we're going to have an article in our June issue about some tuning tips. And so I'm like, man, if I can get on with podcast and here with T-Bone, I can, I can let him give us all his secrets. And then we can share a few of those with the readers at Peterson's Bow Hunting, as well as our listeners here on the podcast. So, I mean, I'm just going to throw it out to you, T-Bone. I'm going to say it like this, okay? Here's what I'm looking for is some basic type things. When people are setting up a bow or wanting to get a better tune on their bow, what is the, the 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 things that you're like, okay, these are the things that I really want to look at on your setup because these are probably areas where we can maybe make some adjustments. You're going to see some real good improvement because maybe your bow wasn't set up right the first time or maybe you're just setting up the bow. And these are things like, man, when you're setting up a bow, if this, this, and this isn't dialed in, you're going to struggle. Whereas if we get this stuff right, you're going to be like you you mentioned it earlier, going to get you started on the right path so that you can really kind of enjoy this and, and get yourself moving in the right direction. Well, first and foremost, it depends on, you know, which listener is listening. You know, there's there's a bunch of different levels of of listeners. You know, you have people uh, that are extremely green that are that may be listening. And, you know, I'm naturally I'm not going to tell them. To, to, to jump off and try to tune their own bow by, you know, if you want to, by all means you can, you know, because that's the best way to learn. If you have that engineer mechanical mind, by all means do so. So we'll, we'll, I, it, some things I may say may be elementary and then some things may be, you know, extremely technical. But the first thing I would recommend is if you are on the, the beginning side is find yourself a reputable pro shop. I can't speak how valuable uh, a reputable pro shop, meaning like, it's more than just the owner and the, the guys that work there. It's the people that go there. It works. It works as a family or a, a group, and they will they will absolutely 
pull together to pull you through, to get you through. And there's a wealth of knowledge that floats around there. So just hanging out at a reputable pro shop uh, is going to help you with, with getting a lot of your knowledge and your building your confidence on things that you may be doing. And um, it goes without, it kind of goes without saying, make sure that you get set up with the proper draw length and draw weight. Um, archery is, is by all means uh, a tailored thing, meaning like Christian, you may find uh, jeans on sale uh, at, at Sears Roebuck, but if they're my size jeans, yeah, they're going to cover your butt, but <laughs> they're not going to fit you too well. So all of these deals that you see on eBay, all these deals that you see on, uh, you, you know, online and stuff, they may be real tempting to get, but if that bow is not able to be fit to your draw length and your weight, you're, you're going to have a bad experience in it. So it's, it's crucial to get set up with the right weight and the right draw length and the draw length, you know, is, uh, uh, just the, the way, uh, uh, you have someone that knows how to measure your draw length is the best way or a reputable pro shop. However, if you just want a ballpark is to do uh, what I always tell people to do is to do a relaxed wingspan, you know, not like stretching, you know, as far as you can just do a relaxed wingspan from the tip of your finger to the tip of your other finger across the back, have someone measure that or just mark the spots on a wall, measure your wingspan and then divide it by 2.5. And that'll get you within a half inch to five eighths to three quarters of an inch. You're, you're definitely in the ballpark, at least to where you can get the right uh, draw length for you. Draw weight, uh, something, a, a good way to start is something that you can pull while you're sitting down so that you, you know, sitting down in a chair and you're not having to walk it all over the, the yard to get the thing pulled back. So something that you can comfortably pull back so that you can shoot uh, time after time after time uh, is what, what I would recommend as far as uh, getting the draw weight. Um, tuning wise, um, just, just, you know, real simple by all means, you know, you guys jump in there and stop if I'm getting long winded or what have you, but, but, uh, it's a couple of things that I see once we've got your, your draw length, once we've got your, uh, draw weight, you know, you naturally, you pick out accessories to put on there so as far as tuning and getting a, a, a good, uh, shooting arrow right off the bat is I see people choosing too weak of an arrow. Uh, spine wise um, so arrow selection uh, uh, people choose too weak of an arrow and therefore it's makes it hard to tune because it's not absorbing the energy that the bow is transferring to the arrow um, and a lot of now, times shot now, wh why do you think why do you think they do that tebow are they just well, wanting to get a lighter arrow for more speed or, or or they just literally don't know what they ought to be getting because they didn't they didn't look at the charts or whatever well, I, th I think that's it. Uh, um, some, some people are, uh, you know, we, you know, we, we naturally speed sales and, and a lot of times if you're reading forums and if you're reading things, a lot of people go down that road of, you know, trying to get faster, faster, faster. If you're new to the sport, you feel like you're going to have, um, a lesser, a, a lesser setup because you're, you're pulling lighter weight. So you're not, you know, you, you may want to get a lighter arrow and, or you may be thinking towards lighter arrow, but I always, I absolutely go with the theory of a slow hit is better than a fast miss. So make sure that you get the proper spined arrow. And the reason I say proper spined is in my opinion, this is my opinion, I, you know, people may prove me wrong. I don't think there's, there's no such thing as too stiff of an arrow. Some people say, well, that arrow is too stiff. In my opinion, once that arrow is stiff enough to absorb the energy that the bow is transferring to it 
that is going to be a tunable arrow. Now, in tournaments, tournament, you may can tweak on the getting the perfect spine for the perfect forgiveness and such. But as a rule of thumb, always kind of uh, lean towards too stiff. I'd rather the arrow be way too stiff. It gives yourself room to grow. If you're only pulling 60 pounds and you want to go up, if you've got a stiffer spine, you've already got an arrow that will handle that. So I always tell people to go to, you know, it uh, on the stiffer side of the arrow. It's, it's not a problem to be too stiff, but it's a bad problem. Uh, you know, and uh, hard to tune if the, the arrow is too weak. Uh, yeah, and I always, I always just err. You know, a lot of times when you look at every manufacturer has a spine selection chart. Yeah. And I've always, I've always found that uh, it's not unusual for my setup to fall on the sort of the borderline between two yep. spine sizes. And if I find that, I'll always try to err on the heavier side. If it's a choice between a, a li one lighter or one strong heavier, I'll always go to the heavier spine. Absolutely. And in this day and age with FOC being at the forefront, you know, so many people talking about front of center. And I, I have been an advocate and been preaching it long when I was FOC, when FOC wasn't cool, I guess. <laughs> There's a song about that, but I think it was country before it was cool. But um, nonetheless, I, I mean, I, I was preaching FOC and, and I'm a big advocate for it. When you put more weight up forward or heavier inserts or what have you, that actually breaks the spine down. So with a heavier spined arrow, it allows you growth, so to speak. You can tinker with the FOC. You can tinker with your up front weight, your mass weight of your arrow, the mass weight of how much you're pulling. So you've got room to grow there, whereas with two weak, you're going to have to get a whole new set of arrows. And and with the FOC, if I remember correctly, when we talked about it last time, you're up around 18, 19 maybe? Yeah, I'm uh, seven. I'm running like on the arrows I got now for the last two years, like 17.8, 17.9, yeah. 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 And, and, is, and that, I, is that considered, you know, pretty extreme as far as your percentages? That's a little higher than, what do they normally say? like 11 to 15 percent or something like that right i would say uh you know under 11 is for years that's what everybody was going for is like usually under 12 percent foc i would say uh upping your foc to the 11 to the 15 percent is um what i would desire for a good hunting shaft and then um i would i don't consider or you know especially if you read a lot of stuff from ed ashby and uh, the Ashby report, they don't consider extreme FOC until you get over 20. Um, so um, I, I don't know. I, I would I would call it sub extreme. I don't know what we call 17.9. It's just I I know it. Boy, it shoots so good in the wind and it penetrates so well. And it's just you know if you're checking off, I'm a pro and con type of guy. And if you're checking off all the pros and cons, gosh, it just seems like uh, everything falls into place there. And and, and this is coming from a guy who over the years I've set up bows to hunt with from the 345 feet per second, extremely light, all the way down to shooting 240 uh, feet per second or 220 feet per second. And this is all pulling 70 pounds and a 29 and a quarter inch draw. So I, I you know, I've experimented with all. And then, and then I, I like to call myself a, uh, you know, with all the, critters we've shot i examine the critters i mean i i and other people too everything that we film um i i just feel like i'm a 
a student of all that. And I can't, I'm a sponge. I can't get enough information, but it seems like, you know, so many people want to go with faster. So it helps with their yardage judging. Well, the, the magic number, these are the numbers that I like to try to stay within. It's like 255 feet per second up to about 300, you know, and then if I'm shooting 300, that lets me know that, hey, I can afford some more FOC and still, so, so I basically, my end result is I'm trying to achieve like 280 feet per second. To me, that's 275, 280. So if I get 300, on a poundage that I'm pulling comfortably and I and I see that I could put more front weight in there to build myself a more quiet arrow, I'll gladly give up 20 feet per second to have a more forgiving arrow, a more forgiving in the uh in in flight through wind, penetration. Um, all things are there because I don't I'm not gaining anything. I'm gaining more by having a heavy arrow with a higher FOC at 275 than I ever would having a little bit of lighter air going 300 feet per second because you have okay. to be. Okay. So you said, obviously it's going to be quieter. That's an advantage. You're giving up the speed, but you said, you know, you're, you're much rather take that trade off. So what are the other benefits? You're quieter. What else? You're more accurate. Yes. Go ahead, John. No, I was going to say stable. Yes. Stable. Yep, the bow's going to perform better because it has more uh, more mass weight, you know. So it so the bow's going to be quieter, the arrow's going to be quieter in flight. It's going to be more forgiving, not even counting the wind. And then it's going to be it's going to be better in the wind, um, you know. And I know this has been hashed out a lot, but a lot of people say like, I don't get the whole FOC thing. Well, it's adding mass weight to the arrow, which a heavy arrow is going to penetrate better, and. Uh, the, which which is something that we all want you know i mean everybody's like well penetrating's enough you know but you never know what you're going to hit you never know what you're going to hit in that critter you never know when that, that critter's going to put a leg forward and everybody like and people are saying well i'm shooting 320 foot a second with a 350 grain arrow and i'm blowing right through them i i i totally get that i totally get that but if you're if you got your list your laundry list of pros and cons that you're gonna you're gonna win more and and have a more forgiving setup if you have a slower arrow, heavy arrow, you know. And and at the end of the day, I don't care what how we build the accuracy and forgiveness is key. There's no fast bow that is gonna uh, be more important than a accurate bow, an accurate bow, and, and or an accurate shot and an accurate arrow, and is gonna you know if you tighten your groups, you like. Well, my group's tightened up only only a half inch. Man, that, that's a lot. That's a lot over the scheme of things once you get get there. So uh, I, I know I'm rambling a little bit, but no, I, it's I, okay. It's yeah, okay. I, I always say speed thrills, accuracy kills. You know that what I mean? Awesome. I'm writing that down if you don't mind. <laughs> you got it. You got it, buddy. Well, let's 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 transition. Okay. Good conversation there about aerospine and FOC, let's let's talk about something that's directly related to that, T-Bone. And I'm sure that you have some things, you know, that'll be very helpful on this as well. Let's talk about your rest setup. 
because obviously that arrow is going to be shooting off of that rest. And I don't care if it's a whisker biscuit or the latest, greatest drop away rest on the market. There's some things that you want to make sure of when you're setting your rest up. And if they're not right, you're probably going to be setting yourself up for headaches trying to get that thing shooting the way that you want that bow to shoot. Yeah, and I tell people uh, when they're when they're going for the setup, when they're going for an archery setup, you know, it, there's a lot of decisions to be made. You know, sight, stabilizer, quiver, uh, a, a lot of things. How are you going to deck that bow out? And I tell people, you know, if you're on a budget, there's 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 you know, get yourself a good bow. You know, research the bow, make sure it fits you. And there's two things you don't skimp on, in my opinion, is an arrow rest. You don't skimp on an arrow rest. Get yourself a good quality arrow rest, and that means. That, that that's not just saying I you know I'm not I'm not gonna blow one brand out here on you there's a lot of good rest but if you spend four hundred dollars on a site is not gonna make up for you spending twenty dollars on a, a cheap rest you know what I mean the best site in the world is not gonna make you more accurate it's just the sites are nice and it is a, a good aiming device and it does help a little bit but a properly uh, a, an arrow rest that is solid and that is adjustable and that is uh um, repetitive, you know, something that is consistent is something that we're achieving because at the end of the day, we're trying to be like machines. The bow's like a machine. And even if it's not tuned, if we put an untuned bow in a shooting machine, it'll hit the same spot every time. I mean, that arrow's going to come out there like that, but pow, it hits the same spot every time. We develop inaccuracies whenever the human factor comes involved. So we want an arrow rest that is going to be consistent for us whether it be like you said a whisker biscuit which i like a whisker biscuit some of your drop away rest I'm, i mean uh, i'm a huge fan i would think we all shoot the drop away rest and that's what i i recommend especially with smaller diameters clearance issues i was going to say what i what i see people doing when they do put their air rest on is they're afraid to move it and to me when you're paper tuning the bow in order to get that arrow in the bow combination going once you have your cams in sync or set to the proper rotation that the the manufacturer recommends you know because i don't want to speak on you know i'm i'm definitely well versed in hoyt i work on all kinds of bows but i'm as of the last 10 15 years um i you know since i sold my shop i work on way more hoyts than i do anything else but nonetheless synchronization is a key you want to make sure that you get your synchronization once you get that correct and you're working on the error is so so many people are afraid to move the rest. They'll move it over like a sixteenth and then shoot it through the paper. And what I want to see is when I shoot it through the paper and I'm paper tuning, is like if it's ripping a certain way, I'll move it hard one way. I want to see results. If 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 the paper and the arrow is responsive to me moving, I know I'm going to find a good happy medium and a good place somewhere in between. You know, can and can't is going to be the perfect situation. But so many people are like, they'll spend hours till they're all. We'll see, week. no, it's it's interesting that Travis is saying this, John, you know, and you can jump in because I'm always a big one where I say this, like, trust me when you're if like, OK, if I've got like a like I shoot a lot of QAD, OK, drop aways. And man, if you're adjusting the windage on that thing, I mean, a little bit usually goes a long way. I mean, if I move it like a 16th of an inch, that usually, I'm always like, I don't want to move it too much. So it's interesting because T-Bone's saying the exact opposite of that. Well, yeah. so I, I think T-Bone is hitting on another point there too, that 
there are times whenever it's not responsive, right? And then you got to ask yourself why. Why is it not responsive? And I'll let T-Bone answer that. But also, T-Bone, whenever you set up um, a bow for the very first time, are you measuring your center shot and your up down, or are you eyeing it up and just getting, you know, a, you know, a, a general start based on your experience? And if it is that way, is that what you recommend for somebody that's maybe on the mid level, or do you recommend that they, you know, look at the manufacturer's center shot and then use a level to get their, you know, obviously their knocking point? Um, yeah, to to answer your question, um, like if you're if you are if you are shooting first one if you're shooting and it is not responsive the uh, these are all feedback this is all intel that you're getting back so if you shoot and it's not you know you're taking big leaps and it's still ripping right still ripping right then we're, we're checking off list it's like okay rest is not the issue uh there's we got bigger problems it's either a spine problem which usually is what it is or hand torque the way someone's holding the bow uh, excessive hand torque, you know, uh, is a, is a big, big problem. You know, people are trying to stray away from, man, I don't want that string to hit my arm. So they got a little bit of, uh, you know, tension in your hand and, and hand torque is something that's hard to teach, uh, you know, because, you know, everybody's got that death grip in there, you know, and, and our archery, we got to re realize it's a lot, a lot like golf. You have to suppress your nervous energy. You just want so many people have got archery into this, um, I guess, parentheses of macho sport, muscles ripping and, you know, you're pulling back and everything. True, it takes some, it takes some muscles and it is human powered, but we need to make sure that you're just using enough energy or just muscles to get the bow back against the wall and you want just enough muscles to hold the bow up. Other than that, you want to be pretty relaxed and then you don't want to end up being static to where you're not moving. So you get the bow on the, the hard wall and then you you push the you push and pull with those muscles, you know, like it's going this way. But we're talking minute. We're not talking trying to pull the wheels off the bow. And just because you can pull a hundred and you're pulling a seventy, don't mean you need to rip it back. We want to finesse the bow. It's just like golfing. You know, you don't want to try to knock that ball three hundred and fifty yards with golf or baseball. You know, you want to have some finesse, light grip. You know, just a light grip, just enough to get the job done. And uh, so many people have the death grip on there. And I, and I get that. And that's a hard thing that takes repetition. But between aerospine, I would say between aerospine, uh, um, um, grip, tor hand torque, and then, of course, in this day and age, especially with the type of bows, we have binary cams and stuff. And it seems like bows are going away from uh, the yoke systems, which keeps things. A lot of times we have to space that cam or change the spacing of the cam because you will get some wheel lean due to the pressures changing from string over to bus cables and bus cables back to string. It, it causes the cam to do some weird leaning, therefore causes your some tuning issues. And no matter what brand manufacturer, sometimes you got to respace that thing or move it over to get the clean and most uh, tunable hole. Um, what was the second part of your question about? Just, just when you set up, you know, do you, uh, do you recommend? Oh, guys like you know well, measure exactly or do and you know, i'll do, do I'll, I'll piggyback on that before t-bone answers too john because you know what I, I i use i use one of the laser tools you know so i'll i'll have my shaft and everything with that rest lined up perfectly with the with the string 
you know, so I use that as my starting point. It doesn't mean it's not going to maybe need a little bit of tune from there, but I want to know that that center shot is like perfect and all the way out to the end of the shaft, you know, that I'm not, I don't have it. I don't have it. Do you use a level, Christian, as far as you're up, down? You're not. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I'll normally set, I normally set my, my, uh, just like a maybe a quarter or an eighth of a bubble down with a little downward pressure. And, you know, if you ask me why I do that, I guess my answer would be because that's what my pro shop guy like taught me. So beyond that, I mean, just to give it, I guess the thought is it gives it a little bit more stability and helps the helps the launcher guide the arrow if you're just kind of pushing into it a, a little bit. But I mean, maybe maybe Travis is going to be like, no, no, I don't do that. Well, I, I personally don't do that. And and again, I want to make sure that, you know, I hope people don't view me. This is just what has worked for me over the years. And this is just my opinions. Man, there's so many great uh, bow shops out there. There's so many great things. So I don't want to get picked apart. I'm a fan of all of them. I, I By doing all these appearances over the, over the years and going to pro shops, I'm a sponge, man. When I go up to a pro shop and it's not like I'm like, you're doing that wrong. I'm not that way at all. There's a bunch of different ways streets and avenues and planes and trains to get to the same exact point. Um, and me personally, what I end up doing is, is this is, this is the problem I have. I'm, I'm not per se a perfectionist in my life, but archery and hunting wise, I am a little anal on those things. When I, when I've used the laser and the level on that, whenever I do that and, and I set it up that way, and then I have to move after the fact, I always question myself. I don't want that in my head as a, as a hurdle, meaning like, dang, I'm having to move off what laser said was perfect. What level said was perfect. And in order to make this bow shoot, I'm having to move it off of that a little bit. So there's always that negative thought. Like, you know, even if I moved everything, uh, I, I don't want that precision as my starting point because it seems like I'm starting too precise. And, and, and my, I hope I'm making sense, meaning like there's always going to be that negativity or there's always going to be that doubt. It's like, why is my bow shooting so good? And it's not even close to where that laser said was supposed to be. So you're always going to fight with that. It's like, is it my bow? Is it my rest? Is it my arrow? Is it me? You know, I, I don't want that negativity. So what I always recommend is what 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 I was telling John is a lot or, or what to, to John's point is the manufacturer knows they've worked with this bow long before we ever got it. So a good starting point is throw you a number up there. If they give you that 11 sixteenths or 13 sixteenths uh, away from center, that's a good starting point. It's a good starting point. The trained eye will be able to hold the bow, look down the cam tracking in, in coordination with the riser and see where the arrow is coming out. And, and I like mine to be just a little to the left, you know, for a right-handed archer, just, just to track just a little bit to the left. Again, this is all starting point. So my hand torque, it, you know, nobody, like we talked about before, nobody grabs the boat the same. So it's not like a rifle where you just hand the rifle over and here you go, shoot it. And, you know, it's going to hit for you. It's not that way. It's a, it's a, a, a personalized thing with the bow. So your hand torque has, has comes into play the way you anchor the facial pressure you put on the string, the way the facial pressure makes the string track when you leave. There's so many variables. That's what makes archery so beautiful is it's a personalized thing. It's you having to become one with that bow. So if I had that uh, the perfection of a laser and a level on there first, 
Not to say that it ain't a great starting point, but me and my weak-minded redneck mind, I can't get over the, oh man, that's perfect. And I'm having to stray from that. So the paper and the grouping is going to tell me everything I need to know. I just got to have a point to start at. So I get, I, I use their numbers sometimes, or I, I usually just eyeball it. I mean, just my trained eye, I'm like, this is going to be pretty close. I'm not saying that I'm perfect, but it's a good place to start. And then I'm not afraid to move that rest. Like you talked about, you know, I know that you can get, you know, uh, some, once you get in the wheelhouse of where you're needing to be rest wise, you can get some feedback by just moving it a 16th at a time. But if I need to on whether it's my bow or whether it's someone else's bow, depending on what the paper tells me, I'll move it a bit, a big jump to the left, a big jump to the right so that I know where I'm needing to go or what this bow is wanting, or if I'm getting a little on the hand torquey side, these are all giving me intel to where I can uh, get the arrow rest exactly where it needs to be in which it may not be exactly where the laser said or the level said and knocking point two. I'm like you, Christian, actually, I like a, just a little knock high. I like my arrow to be just going downhill just a little bit, meaning I've always ha had the mentality of it. It's there's no downward pressure on the rest. Meaning like if I'm doing it that way and I try my best to tune it that way, it may end up being level, but I start off just a little bit above uh, uh, parallel so that so that there is no downward pressure. The knock is just a teeny bit high. That's my starting point. Do you tie in a, uh, a an inside string knock, if you will, inside your loop? Highly, highly recommend the inside knock I, I use a material which it's right here actually i don't know if you guys can see it but it's a it's a 130 pound test saltwater fishing line um and it's it's dacron it melts really well and it's round it stays round so you know a lot of people tie you know not over not over not which which is good but i just tie like you're tying one d loop and uh it's really really tiny and it's really it's tunable if you need it to be and I put one on the top. I call them soft knots is what I call. Mm -hmm. And then I tie the D loop above and uh, above and below that. It's just a good, simple, uh, and, 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 and I highly recommend soft knots, whether you're tying one or you're tying two. And the reason being is because uh, you, you want a place to hang your hat at when you're twisting your D loop to, to train to your peep site. And then also you want it to where you got a place to go D loop wise if you need to change the D loop or change the length of the D loop, you've always got your tuning spot. It's like, this is where it tuned at. This is where the soft knock is. This is home base. And then you change the, the length of the D loop, or if you end up cutting your D loop and you need to change it, you can. When do you know that you, you set up your system well enough that, you know, you might need to train your, your loop a little, but you know, I'll see guys like trying to spin them all the way around. Uh, and yeah i feel like they they're 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 missing out by just not taking a little extra time and and repositioning that you know that loop in general yeah i guess uh acceptable to me would be a quarter a turn you okay. know like if the peep is a quarter a turn uh and the bow shooting good i i'm i'm acceptable of that but it really i'd like it to be a little less than that but uh, up to about a quarter if it gets more than a quarter a turn we need to press the bow twist the string uh, you know, or reposition the peep site, walk the, you know, you can walk the strands around. Right. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm seeing a lot of, um, the, you know, the peep trainers, I don't know if you've seen them. We, we used to do that with, a um, 
you put them in the string and then you just slide them up and down the string and it actually manipulates the peep sight where you need it to be. Uh, we used to do that years ago with uh, the string silencers, you know, like the, the limb savers that you used to put in there. All you do is reposition them and it repositions your peep sight. Twist the string, yeah. It twists the string or, the, you know, I, honestly, the best way to do it is to twist the, twist the string on your cam, press it, twist it and re, reposition. That's the best way. But I will say this, uh, don't ever do half twists. You know, like some people will take, once your once your string is kind of set in, you know, some people say, I just want a half a twist. So you just turn it a half a twist. And then you're taking that string and you're bending it back over all the pre-set uh, tracks that you've already, you know what I mean? It's already like a copper wire. You've already shaped that thing and you're going to bend it back over itself. In my opinion, that's a no-no. Once you've got your string, it's got 200 shots and it's settled in, always go in full twist. Meaning like if you need a half twist, then what you do is take put one twist on the bottom and then take one twist out of the top and that'll that will work or transition yourself over as a half a twist if that makes sense yep that's good info thank you so <clears throat> i was going to ask you t-bone about peep sight rotation and things like that and you you kind of started to talk about it here um you know so many people, you, you know, you talked to the beginning, you know, some people are beginner, some people more intermediate or expert. I mean, some people are still shooting with, you know, the, the rubber, the rubber bands on their peeps. And that's one thing where I'm like, no, man, if you want to like take this a little more seriously, you got to get away from that. And, and there's no reason if you have a decent bowstring on that bow that you can't get to a point where you've got your peep sight coming back the right way and um I'm, maybe we ought to back up too and even just talk about positioning of the peep because i think that's all for a lot of people you know if your peep sight is too high or too low and your anchor point and your your whole your form is all messed up and and that's critical to having the peep you know set at the right height and then obviously making sure that it comes back straight yeah, um, it, it's it, it goes back to talking about the tailored part of a archery setup. You know, you can actually take, a, you know, so many people like my first bow that I got. I was a I was I was embarrassed to try to pull it back in the shop, so I just told the guy just tie it tie the peep in where you think it needs to be because I I didn't think I could pull sixty four pounds at nineteen years old, and here I was I was benching three hundred pounds playing football, but I don't know I had a bad experience at ten years old. So anyway, he tied it in and, you know, you, you know, you see a lot of people just make it work or they'll buy one off the internet and, you know, they just make it work. Whereas there's more to archery, you know, and, and being accurate than looking through that peep. A lot of people make sure that the peep site or they think that the peep site is the key to your accuracy. Uh, as far as, you know, as long as I'm looking through there, it doesn't matter what I'm doing here, which is totally wrong. Um, you know, like a rear sight on a rifle, you know, you're having to line up two points. Well, you're doing the same thing with a bow, except for uh, with a rifle, the whole sight process is rigid. You know, it's it's rigid from the front to the top. I mean, from the front to the back. So it's it's not going to change. Whereas with a bow, you know, you have string, you have cam alignment, you have limbs, all this stuff. The torque can change that drastically. So I tell people when they're building their anchor point, it's a there's a four points of contact in my opinion um we've got your draw length and, and here's another thing this is kind of a deep dive you know a lot of people talk about draw length well 
if the bow's too short, I'll just lengthen the the D loop. Wrong. Or if the bow's too short, I'll just lengthen my arrow, my my release out. You know, you you lengthen the release out, and then you reach for the trigger. Wrong. That's not true. You have, in my opinion, and I think it needs to be talked about, is two different types of. You have draw length, which is your telemetry, to where your head is set in your shoulders, and it comes back to the corner of your mouth lightly touching the corner of your mouth and a lot of people say well you know i i, I want to shoot a short d loop well if that short d loop depending on your face the way your head is made and where you're anchoring you need to span that distance but you don't need to sacrifice your trigger placement so i'll give you an example like uh with the with the with the release here how many times have we ever seen someone reaching for the trigger like this you know just barely getting on there now if you shoot a gun let's turn this thing upside down you would never shoot a gun this way you want a full wrap you want a 90 degree crook in your finger you know to pull that trigger to to effectively pull the trigger and or use back tension so so many people put the the wrist strap on and then they feel like oh that's too tight that's too tight i need to lengthen it so they lengthen it to where it's comfortable with no tension on there then when they go to draw their bow and they're like well i thought that was right and then they draw their bow and they barely can reach the trigger so at a relaxed position when someone has a wrist strap or i'm talking about the wrist strap mainly right now is you want it to be a little on the crampy side so that when you do put tension on it you've got a good 90 degree crook so now we we've set the we've set where you want your wrist strap length at and then you've got your draw length and then let's just say the two just don't they just don't meet it's like man i feel all crampy here or either i'm getting back to my anchor point which i like to tell people to go with your jawline, usually your knuckle about your earlobe. Everybody's facial is, you know, different jawlines, different fatness on your jaw, thickness of beard, you know, all this, all these things have, have, have an effect on it. But then people pull the string deep into their face, you know, to reach their anchor point, so, which is a no-no because when facial pressure, people like, well, man, I got a good anchor, man. I'm digging in there. Look at that string. Like, I go home with calluses on my face from strings in my face. That's that's that, you know, at long years ago, we thought that was good because you're being consistent. You're a hard anchor. But when you're at full draw, we all know, you know, as gurus, there's no tension on a string. I mean, it's like a wet noodle. Everything is on pretty much everything. 85, 90 percent is loaded up on those bus cables, ready to transition and then pop on the string. So when you're at full draw and you've got a lot of tension on your string, it causes nightmares with tuning. People just like, I cannot get a bow to shoot at all. And it's because they're diving on there. So I'm going to try to do this with the camera. So if I'm aiming at the butt, at, aiming at the camera, you know, and I've got facial pressure here, as soon as I let go, as soon as I let go of the release back here, it's going to, it's coming out here. I'm exaggerating it, but it's like a wet noodle, just like this. And it don't have time to recover in that you know, 28 inch power stroke. It doesn't have time to recover. So therefore you're setting an error on a path of, you know, it's going to do this no matter what, you'll never get it to tune correctly. So we want to make sure that you come back and you want to touch those anchor points, but in your head, you want to make sure that low torque on your grip and you want that string just leaving perfectly like launch. And, and, and you want it to go just perfectly straight. And John will tell you this, when you're on a, you know, the most critical portion of the draw force curve is the first like inch where it's coming up out of that valley. You know what I mean? There's nothing there. It's like, okay, 
we've let it go. It's going really, really slow. And then, boy, it takes off like nobody's business once it gets about a half inch away from your nose, you know. But if we've got it pushed over to the side, once it hits that power stroke and really accelerates, man, you got problems. So with that, when you're developing, I say all that to get you to the to understand why anchor points are so important is we've got this point, which is your your anchor point, and you've got the draw length, which is your frame. I mean, your draw length is going to be your draw length. Now we have to span that. It's like, well, how do I get, how do I not let my finger out, but yet get the string back here? Well, then you you lengthen your D-loop. That's the beauty of a D-loop. You, you custom fit that D-loop to where it spans the difference from your lightly anchor point to your firm, hard hand anchor on your side of your jaw so that we span that different. But people have got it in their head that if they got a big D loop on there, they're hindering their draw length. We got to get out of that mindset that you have an anchor length and you have a draw length. And, you know, once you determine your draw length, you do whatever it takes. Back in the day, we used to shoot long strings that wrapped around before D loops. We'd, you know, just shoot longer strings to get here. Otherwise, you're you're forcing yourself and you're going to have all kinds of tension and problems and facial pressure problems. Now, once you determine this anchor point with your head square with your shoulders and, you know, squared with your hips and, you know, you're looking at your target, you draw the bow back and we've got, we've got this length. Now we got to build it in stages. Okay. So we're anchored here. We want to go corner your mouth, tip of your nose, try to some people with glasses, you have to go to the side of the nose because you can't really look across your bridge work on your glasses. Um, you know, there's all kinds of things that customize this, this anchor point. You go corner your mouth, tip your nose, and then where you're looking is the peep sight. The last thing you set is the peep sight. The first thing is, is draw back, anchor in, and let everything, let a trained eye look at you and or comfortable and make sure there's no pressure here. A lot of people use kisser buttons. A lot of people use a kisser button. I'm a big fan of either a kisser button or nowadays, I, I, you know, you see the popularity of a, a nose button, which I, I call it a booger button. <laughs> <laughs> but you have the corner of your mouth, you can just use the tip of your nose or you can use a button on the tip of your nose. And then, of course, your peep side is your last form of anchor point. So you have four things to hang your hat on so that no matter what you do or what position you're in, those things are always the same. So that you always get the sight picture. You, you try to relatively keep pressure down to a, 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 basically a bare minimum. And your anchor is a good firm anchor with a 90 degree crook on your finger. So many people. I, when I see someone draw back and they're like this and they're barely touching the trigger, I just, man, we need to have a talk. <laughs> yeah. So how, so how long, how long will you go on a, on a knocking loop? Um, some of my tournaments, well, like I got one back here, can't really get up, but it's, it's probably, it's probably an inch and five eighths, you know, from the back of the string to the inside of the knot. So, I mean, it, it's, it's pretty healthy. I mean, Naturally, you want it. You you want it to fit. There's no one size D loop that is perfect. You tie it on there. You tie it on there to where it's relatively short. You know what I mean? To where you got room. It's not a problem to knock an arrow. And then you adjust it accordingly. You adjust it a little bit longer. There's no problems with having a, a you know a inside gap of an inch. Most people ain't going to need that. I'm just saying, let that D loop be your forgiven factor to span the difference from your draw length to your your anchor length okay so so t-bone for the four points of contact to make sure that i'm understanding you right you got your anchor 
your nose, your corner of your mouth, and your peep. Those are your four? Correct. Correct. Okay. And, and I'm not a fan of the thumb behind the neck. You know, you see a lot of people take the thumb and put it behind their neck. Well, that, that's, that can cause a lot of inconsistencies. I know a lot of people back in the day when we shot a lot heavier poundage, they used to use that to anchor in to hold the, hold the poundage back. But I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that you can't stray from what I'm telling you. It's just been my, my uh, observation that we want to make sure that we're consistent and it can do the same thing over and over and over again. All right. Well, John, we got to try and hit him on a couple more points before we let the man go. I know he's probably getting hungry for lunch here. Um, now I got that darn music playing again. Good grief. Sight you don't hear it. No, it's good because I'm going to turn it off again after I ask this question. Talk to me about your site setup. You talked, you mentioned it earlier, you know, $600 sites, not going to make you any more uh, accurate, but I'm sure there are some things that you like to do when it comes to your site, whether that's your, your second and third access level or other things that you like to do. Uh, talk to us about site setup and how that helps you to shoot more effectively. Yeah. Um, well, I've, on the, uh, on the string rig and in the peep site, we was talking about different types of peep. Um, different types of peep, naturally, the larger the hole uh, in a hunting situation, it lets more, lets more light in. So it helps you in those low light situations. But uh, also a bigger peep lets you waller around in there and it's not quite as accurate. So it's a, I personally shoot like a 3 16th peep. That, that's what I like. Um, and I, I don't go over a quarter. So somewhere between an eighth and a, and a quarter. But very seldom do I ever see anybody hunting wise with an eight. So a three sixteenths, a three thirty second, or a quarter would be the three sizes I recommend for uh, hunting. Um, you know, if you're hunting a lot of low, real low light, you might go a little larger than that, but your accuracy may may suffer just a little bit, or your forgiveness, I should say. So that's what I recommend. And there's a lot of good peeps on the, and make sure that you get something that, based off the apex of the string, is parallel to your eye so that you're looking through this the the peep sight square rather than drawing it back and having a real tight low axle to axle bow and it and you're looking through it diagonally so you want to make sure that you look through the peep square as possible uh, and those are on the cut lines whether it be a 37 degree cut or 45 degree cut you can you can customize and get that right now on to the site like you talked about christian the site is very very personalized meaning like what would you shoot t-bone i get that all the time would you shoot a fixed pin would you shoot a mover there's there's so many different variables i'm like it's really personal preference you know a lot of guys that are getting older you know like myself your vision's not as good and i hear the transition to one pin all the time everybody talks about going to one pin um you know they they make peeps now and i'm i'm it's like the fountain of youth especially archery peach with the uh, verifier that has the glass in it i'm shooting the glass so that you can see clearly you know what you're looking at so it's just like the fountain of youth so instead of having those four or five pins that are were bleeding together as i got to my mid 40s now i got a crisp clear target um there are problems that come up with that you know whether it be rain fog uh dust and stuff but me weighing out the pros and the cons and me being a archery guru i gotta be able to see my pins clear i i'll, I'll take my chance on a on a, a a rainy day or whatever and i keep the stuff with me in my pack in case we have that and the other good thing about it is, is if it does become a torrential downpour and you're hunting, you can, with your fingers, just pop that glass out and then you go back to a regular peep site. So it's not like the hunts 
done if you can't see through the glass you can change it in the field and everything so that's something that i'm you know real strongly about so all the listeners in there that have vision issues and or getting to where they have to wear the the readers all the time uh there is a fountain of youth actually there's one lane right there especially archery people the verifier different they have different glasses that get you through there to, to the strength that you may need now size of the peep sight going back to the, the the pin sites whether you want a single pin or multiple pin i personally am a multiple pin guy they do make even sites that are the best of the both worlds um which are four pins and they float that to me is that is the the pinnacle i love that um but don't feel like you have to spend two three four hundred dollars on a site to be accurate those are just things that are nice meaning like most sites are machined well enough to where it's going to give you your first and second axis with a level pretty good third axis comes into play whenever you're shooting uphill or downhill because we tend to want to lean the bow one way or another and at longer distances where where that top limb leans is where you're going to drift out you're going to shoot out to the right you're going to shoot out to the left uh, depending on how you got that bow lean but if you're relying on that level and the level's telling you a story you know, you're going to look at the level and if it, your bow is not leveled 360 degrees, you're going to look at the level and uh, believe it's on and you're aiming steep down out of a tree stand on a hillside or in a mountain at a mountain goat at 70 yards. And you're going to think, OK, I'm level, but yet your top limbs bobbled out. And you're going to miss out to the left or right. So if you are doing those type of hunts where you're shooting extreme long distances, you know, I say beyond 35 yards and extreme angles highly 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 recommend getting third axis and if you are one of those guys that want the absolute precision get you one of those sites that have the third axis and you have to make sure that you level it you know a lot of people can level it on the bow they can do it with a door jam by holding the bow up there um i personally uh I, this is that, that you won't see one like this this is the old original bright site um this is how i level them it levels on 360 degrees and you level in the site long before you even put it on the bow because the, the site is its own tool, it's its own mechanism. And once it's level 360 degrees, wherever you turn it is gonna tell you what true level is and it's gonna make you do the same thing every time. So um, your pro shop's gonna have that, or you know, if you want, got your own shop, you can buy those for less than a hundred bucks. Make sure that with your, make sure that with your reticle, something else to help you anchor and to be more accurate is with your most all sites now are uh, their housings are anywhere from an inch and three eighths all the way to two inches, two and a quarter. And the distance that is away from your eye, whether you're a 26 inch draw or 31 inch draw and they, they're on a dovetail, um, you want that to try to line up with your peep site to where this circle and this circle are coincide together or at least you can see the outside edge of the the site so that you can get a good um, uh, alignment of the two two holes rather than shooting off centered like this you want to make sure that they're lined up so you can do that that's what, a lot of the reason why there's dovetails on sites to get it out there to where you can see correctly in the 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 uh, peep site housing so you want to line those up and that aids in your accuracy Another thing, by the farther the site is away from you, the more accurate or detailed it is, meaning your pin gap will open up, but it's a finer, you, you can definitely choose between, you know, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34 yards 
more so when it's farther away than it is when it's close to the bow. Now, the disadvantage of that, the farther away it is, the more susceptible it is to getting bumped, knocked, pulling up in a tree stand. You know, there's pros and cons to everything. So, so T Bone, um, I think that, uh, you know, this probably could have been a two hour podcast because I know I got a bunch of other things I could talk to you about. Hey, I'm, I'm fine, guys. We'll do a two parter if you want to. Yeah, that's what I'm I was going to say. We might, I need love it. we might need a two parter. But uh, one of the things I just wanted to ask you quick um, uh, you know, Chad Smith, who's a test specialist that is critical to what we do here. First of all, he wanted me to tell you that he's praying for you. That's one. And then second, he said, um, I've heard that peeps can be served in too tight and that they won't allow the string to twist properly. Um, do you know anything, you know, have you heard about that? Well, um, I do know this. Um, I haven't heard of them being served in too tight. However, whenever I tie a peep in, I tie, you know, I, I am a fan of the continuous, you mm -hmm. know, so many people tie above and below and then they don't tie around. That's a safety issue. In my opinion, very right. rare that one would pop out. However, most all peeps have got a line around them and that line is made for the, to be tied in. So you tie to the top. I use one continuous strand, walk it down one leg of the, the sides of it, go around the peep, and then come down the other leg and continue out my knot. And whenever I'm tightening those tags down, once I get, you know, get it tied in, I will manipulate those. I'll pull on the tag ends, and by tightening the tag ends, you're tightening on the, the apex of the, the split where it goes around the peep, and that manipulates the peep site to 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 lay where you want it to right so i'm not going to say that's going to end where it's going to end because you got to you got to shoot the string in but when you're initially tying it in um you can manipulate that peep sight by tightening more on the the knot it, it does affect it but once it's tied in and and cut off i don't know that it would be a negative if that makes sense i mean yep. you can manipulate it to get it where it needs to be but in my opinion, I don't know that that's a negative once you're once you're finished because it's not going to move. It's not going to change. Change is what we don't want. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Christian, looks like you had something you're playing around with. They're maybe going to ask a question. Oh, no, I just. Well, it's funny. He was talking about I don't know what that old that old thing. This is a axis site leveler from October Mountain, which yep. I just got this thing, John, and I'm, I'm going to uh, I'm going to use it to level my sights and uh i'm going to write up a little review on this john it's probably just a newer version of whatever t-bone had had there that he said probably they don't make anymore but well, it's, they do make it it's called it's made by original bright sight they still do make this but it just won't look like this it's it's uh upgraded this thing right here is way over 20 years old <laughs> gotcha but yeah i mean i actually found it interesting because you know i've always uh, the, the times that I have done, you know, third axis, I've done it on the bow, which is a little more cumbersome, you know, and something like this, which allows you to do the whole sight leveling before you ever put it on the bow. I'm like, well, that's that seems a lot handier, you know? Yes. Yeah, I think all that stuff's, uh, you know, really important. Like you said, T-Bone, when you get, you know, to the longer distances and the extremes up and down. But whatever, what I always remind people with, you know, when they get too obsessed when they're just doing regular hunting is I shot my first deer with a matchstick taped to my riser as my sight. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's, 
you know, if you want to spend money on your setup and you're you're trying to pinch pennies, by all means, spend your money on the rest, good quality rest, a good quality release, uh, something that's going to perform well, that's going to have good tolerances and, and your bow and, you know, and then of course, arrows and then everything else. Like you don't have to have a stabilizer. You don't you could like you put a matchstick on there to for a side if you need to. Those are things that you don't have to have, but you've got to have an arrow rest. So uh, that, uh, uh, like I said, a $400 site's not going to make up for a, a, a piece of a piece of junk. Arrow. Yeah. Well, and these these new Hoyts that T-Bone is shooting, they practically don't have stabilizers anymore, right? Yeah. Come it, with these little shortstop stabilizers, right? Yeah, it's basically they're including a lot of that stuff with whatever we've got. So, uh, um, which is which is you know pretty darn nice you know and a lot of people are using these side offset stabilizers which i'm a really big fan of and i'm glad that uh people are doing so but just to touch on stabilizer a little bit it's really a personal preference meaning uh, another good thing is to go to your local pro shop your independent retailer they'll have a a bunch of different ones talk to the guys try them you know uh, a side stabilizer might not be something for you it may increase the mass weight so much that it's not a, a enjoyable to shoot so um, you know, th those are things that you just need to try to see if you like them on, on your bow or not. Well, T-Bone, uh, like John said, we could probably go two hours, but we're not going to. We're yeah. going to we're going to let you get a decent lunch. But before we wrap it up, I know I'm curious. John's curious. You got some you know, you got some challenges here, right? You're you're looking ahead to hopefully getting uh, a prosthetic and, and getting a little bit more mobile than you are now. But tell me about your your 2022 hunting season. I'm sure that you're still making plans and, and thinking every day about how you can get out and uh, do some of these hunts that you've wanted to do. So, um, you know, what, what's your what's your outlook here for for the year ahead? Well, uh, d definitely we'll be hunting around here. Um, I'm real fortunate enough to have a, a, a pretty good farm here in Georgia. So uh, we'll definitely accommodate that in some form or fashion. I, and I own a farm in Kansas. So Kansas and Oklahoma will definitely be doable because mainly we hunt out of um, redneck blinds and or ground blinds out there, you know, just because there's just not a lot of a wealth of trees. And man, it's been so, you know, it's become so popular to hunt out of those things. And especially with the cameraman, you can get away with so much movement. So it's really, really nice. Um, so those, those are the biggest ones. I, I got enough points to draw for Iowa. But I don't I'm I'm trying to make sure I'm trying to make sure that I, you know, I, I don't want to cut that hunt short, you know, what I mean, because it takes four years to get those to get those points and to get a chance to go there. So I'm making sure that um, I, I want to see how my m mobility is. I don't want to do too much planning. Um, naturally, we'll do, like I said, Georgia, Oklahoma, Kansas, probably Texas hunt as well. Um, and, and then basically, I'm just going to play it by ear on how the spring goes. Cause we got a, a lot of things to go through between, you know, in the next six months, as far as learn, you know, learning with a prosthetic, what I can and what I can't do. And, you know, I'm learning every day that there's things that are just, you know, that are normal for most folks. It's like, I got to put some thought in, how is that going to work for me now? So, uh, but we'll get there, we'll get there, you know, uh, by, by all means life ain't over. And, uh, you know, I look at it this way. I've had a day or two where my lips been poked out a little bit, but for the most part, I've been smiling most every day and I'm super happy, uh, you know, to be here. And, and, and guys, I, I say this with the utmost truth. If I don't ever kill another cockroach, I have already way outlived my dreams. And I promise you that 
Because I can tell you, a guy that was 20, 25 years old that didn't have two nickels to rub together, I, I, I man, I've far outlived my dream. So I'm, I'm super, super blessed. As long as I can find a way to get in my skid steer and my tractor and, you know, fish a little bit, shoot a little bow a little bit, shoot a few deer, and, uh, you know, just continue to, to uh, visit with my friends. And, and you know, and uh, hopefully, you know, folks will still want to hear what I've got to say. Man, I, I, I am fine. I am totally fine. Grounded, there is so many more people that are way off worse than me. So, um, yeah, I'm looking for some hunts. But, uh, you know, right now we're just taking it one day at a time and making sure we have safe days and don't back up. And we're just progressing a little bit each day. So that's where we're at right now. Well, John's got a nice lease here in Pennsylvania, and he said he's got a blind all set up for you. So anytime you want to come up here, you're more than welcome, T-Bone. We always like to invite people to Pennsylvania because they never come. So it helps us to feel generous, and hey, and it, it doesn't put us out none. You know what I mean? I've, I've killed <laughs> quite a few deer in Pennsylvania. We've done Have a you? Few, oh, yeah, we've done a bunch of episodes not too far from you over in, in the Philadelphia area, New Hope in Bucks County. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. How yeah, about yeah. that? They've done an episode with Pennsylvania, New Jersey. Um, definitely, uh, there's some good episodes, T-Bone. Yeah, we've we've get more comments out of that. You know, like I think the best episode. I I think I killed one buck and like eight does, and uh, <laughs> all of them. I, I I never was more than like 150 yards from the nearest house. It was great. <laughs> yeah, I know where New Hope is for sure. Yeah, that's different. Uh, area down there so well listen yep. t-bone we're glad that you're doing you're doing as well as you know anyone could expect at this point and we're gonna give you continued prayers and best wishes and anything we can do for you whatsoever you just say the word and like john said earlier you know the great thing for you is you know you just know there's so many people that are in your corner man and yeah. uh yeah, you're honestly you're 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 an inspiration to all of us because, you know, like you said, it, you've been through what you've been through. Um, you got a smile on your face, and uh, gosh, you know, it's uh, it's just uh, just about as good as uh, a message as I can think of. You know. Well, I you know I, I appreciate that, guys, and and uh, thank you for having me on here. I, I absolutely love this. I mean, as as many many years as I've been doing archery, I cannot get enough of the guru side of it. The you know, and and I hope, like I said before, you know, if, if the listeners that tuned in, I'm just sharing my opinions. I'm not saying that this is the you know do all end all. It's just these are things that have worked for me, and and I think that I have uh, some pretty uh, common sense rational behind it you know what i mean it's just a it, it makes perfect sense on a lot of these things so i hope that you know somebody gets something out of it and you know uh thanks for having me on anytime you guys want to i, I love this man i, I could sit around the campfires or you know a, a cold beverage and a pizza and, and discuss this kind of stuff all the time that's about the third time he's mentioned pizza john so <laughs> I think if we do this again, we better make sure we have some pizzas delivered down there to his pro shop here before we start the podcast. I don't know if we share a blind together on John's lease up there. We're going to what pizzas on me. <laughs> All right. Well, John, sounds like you need to fire up the Ranger and start making some plants because T-Bone's coming in this fall. Uh, it's been great spending time with you, Travis. Absolutely. Always. All right, guys, have a great day. Thank you so much for your time.
Appreciate you guys. Thank you. Have a good one. Thanks for downloading the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bow Hunting Magazine on your local newsstand or connect with us online at bowhuntingmag.com.